It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. Who wants to talk sports on a Thursday? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host, John Riley. We welcome you to our Thursday weekly podcast. John, we have an absolute ton of topics on the table. We are going to cover the waterfront in sports today. Buckle your seatbelt because we're going from A to B to C to D pretty quickly. How are you? I'm doing good. It's Sweet 16 weekend. I'm fired up for the Aztecs. They're playing tomorrow night. But yeah, there's a lot going on in the world of sports. All right, let's start, first of all, Major League Baseball, because everybody is still glowing in the spotlight of what we saw, the aftermath of the World Baseball Classic. This was theater. This was drama. This was Hollywood. You could not write a better script. You know, two pictures ago in my scrapbook, pregame ceremony before they exchanged the lineup cards, Otani walks to home plate with the Japanese flag, Mike Trout walks to home plate with the American flag. Then the teams come out and they go up the first and third base sidelines for the introduction. How cool was that picture? Followed by the other snapshot, last out of the game, Showtime Shohai versus Captain America. You could not have written a better script. Otani versus Trout. The pitcher strikes out his teammate, the batter. Japan wins. In the big picture of things, this was pretty good baseball. I think in the minute picture of things, I don't think anybody realizes how good baseball really is in Japan and how good Japanese pitching really is in Japan. And I'm not just talking about Otani. I'm talking about the whole collection of young arms that were paraded out there by Japan against all the teams they beat. This was just a spectacular series. What an accomplishment. And, John, the TV ratings were staggering. All-time record, 5.2 million viewers for the championship game. And in the ninth inning, when Showtime faced Captain America, the ratings peaked at 6.5 million views in the ninth inning. Spectacular series. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I mean, I enjoyed the whole thing. I love the format. I love the tournament. Um, and speaking to the Japanese pitchers, did you see the, I, again, I don't know all the guys' names, but the starter for Japan in the semifinal, that guy was unbelievable. Sasaki. Yeah, he was throwing like, you know, these 102 mile an hour cutters. And I was really impressed with him. But yeah, the Japanese used to have, their league used to be like AAA. Not anymore. I mean, this these guys are legit. A lot of these guys can play in MLB. And it was kind of, you know, like you say, theater, the way it all came down to it. I was hoping for Trout to, to hit a bomb and even kind of create more fireworks. But uh, what a great series. Yeah, it was spectacular. And I think now, because Rob Manfred came out the night the final game was played and says the next thing he wants is he wants all of Major League's top pitchers on the roster to go in this true World Baseball Classic. So that should accompany what I'm proposing, put it in the All-Star Week, configure a way to have the best teams with all the best players, all in shape at the best time of the year, make the All-Star break nine days, 
and play the series right there. I think it'd be in a phenomenal, phenomenal event. Okay, on we go. Baseball, Padres. Yeah, the Padres. We've got a lot of news here with the Padres, so let's uh, go down the big board here. There's a lot of injuries going on here. Well, suddenly the Padres, I don't think, have had a really good spring training. Uh, the nagging injuries are one thing. I think the spring training's most everywhere been fractured because players have gone to the WBC. So the Padres are a sub-500 team here as we wrap up the Cactus League. They don't look like, quote, they're ready for the start of the season. Start of the season, by the way, is Thursday against the Colorado Rockies. But I will say this, uh, you know, the Padres have the potential, I think, to win 100 games. And next week we'll be doing our baseball preview on our next Thursday show, so you won't want to miss that. But, you know, as we start, I guess good news about Juan Soto so far. The oblique injury seems less serious than first feared. Maybe he sits out this last week of the Cactus League. Must be cautious with him in terms of how much batting practice he takes, that he does not get fatigued, that the torque of the swing does not make the oblique injury worse. But it may be he might be there the first week of the season. Joe Musgrove was throwing to batters, not swinging, but just throwing off a full mound to batters just to continue to test the toe. However, I'm I'm very cautious about Musgrove. I would sit him for a start, maybe two starts, because when he goes on the mound, it's going to have to be max effort, not lobs to home plate. Uh, That's a big issue that you don't want him to re-injure the toe and the, the sidebar issue. You don't want his mechanics to change subconsciously that he injures his shoulder or his elbow in a max effort start. I'd be very cautious with that situation. Uh, the Austin Nola injury, less severe than first feared. I first feared, I thought, terrible fracture and a concussion. No concussion, minor fracture. <laughs> Evidently, <clears throat> because the ball glanced off the flap of the helmet, it lessened the blow. Uh, looks like he may be ready to play come opening day against the Colorado Rockies. Uh, I don't think we're ever going to see Drew Pomerantz pitch in San Diego again. This looks like a $35 million investment that's gone off the track. All the rehab that this left-handed reliever has done, and now he's shut down again this past week with more inflammation in the back of the elbow. He's had nothing but injuries. He was injured when they traded for him the first time. I think he was injured when he came back the second time. Yeah, Pomerantz had a flashy group of outings before he broke down again, and he always broke down. It's a big issue. I just He'll be on the disabled list to start the season. I don't know whether he's going to pitch. We go through all this rehab, and then you have another setback, like Craig Stammen went through all that rehab after the plasma platelet injection. He had the setback, and he tore his capsule. I don't think we're ever going to see Pomerantz again. Uh, Adrian Morion, uh, inflammation inside the joint of the elbow. It's not a ligament. That's important, but he's going to be in a shutdown mode for a while, and I don't know whether or not they give him cortisone or whether he has plasma platelet injection. I don't think we're going to see him probably the first month of the season because he's not thrown at all, and they're going to have to ramp him up. So Padres are dinged. They're, you know, I, uh, are they ready to start the season? Well, if you don't have a healthy Soto and you got some question marks at the front end of your rotation, I don't know how ready you are to start the season. But they're not the only ones in baseball that got problems. But, hey, Rockies don't care. Schedule makers don't care. Opening day next Thursday, Petco Park against Colorado.
Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see this go down, but it's nice to hear that the Soto, Nola, and Musgrove injuries are not as severe as that they were, that they, that the worst case scenario was. But, you know, one guy that's not on the list is Tatis. I mean, so he's coming back from his injuries. Do you know he's 10 for his last 17 in spring training? I mean, the guy's killing it. Well, he is right now, and that's better than being three for 21. Mm-hmm. But it is spring training baseball. <laughs> and when you start playing all these teams at the start of the season, those guys out on the mound are be doing max effort pitches, but it's good to see him swing. He's hitting with a little bit more power. Uh, the experiment is what will right field look like and feel like for him defensively because Petco Park, with all those angles and the Petco porch, that he's, there's a learning curve he's still going to have to go through in terms of positioning, going to get balls, how to play caroms, etc. But the fact that he started to hit some. That, to me, is a positive. Let's go to the Dodgers. Yeah, the Dodgers are It's a very interesting case here with them because, you know, there are rivals up north, but they have a long history of often doing the right thing. And and now we, we hear more about Andrew Tolles. All right, let me walk through a little history here. Andrew Tolles is a son of a longtime NFL linebacker, Alvin Tolles, who played for the Houston Oilers. Andrew Tolles marched through the Dodger farm system in 2017. At the end of the year, he hit 324. And it looked as if this guy was going to be a contributor. Tore knee ligament in 2018. Missed a large chunk of the season. Then he came back in 19 and he left the team very strange fashion uh, in spring training. Has never played baseball since that point in time. Uh, The revelation that he was suffering from mental health issues, depression, incidents at home with family, police were involved, totally disappeared off the radar. Then we found out that he had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder that had just exploded. Then schizophrenia. Uh, He had been in and out of mental hospitals, therapy, etc., counseling, nothing seemed to work, disappeared again. They found him living in Key West, Florida, in an empty building on the grounds of the airport at Key West. So they rescued him. His father, the NFL player, has taken control of him. What has never been said is the Dodgers have continued to pay him. Since 2018 and the knee injury and then the first mental health help was set in 2019, the Dodgers have continued to pay him since 2018 through 2023. It's a flat fee. It's it's what a veteran's salary would get. You talk about a phenomenal step forward to help one of your players who will never, ever play baseball again. To me, that's that's a spectacular accomplishment. So, I mean, we can sit here and we can condemn the Dodgers. They didn't do due diligence or the right diligence on the mess with Trevor Bauer. And we can critique them about this trade or letting that player go. But how about what Andrew Friedman and Mark Walter did on behalf of this trouble player? It's amazing. It is amazing. Um, and But, you know, mental health is a, a broad crisis throughout all of society. It's nice to see the Dodgers stepping up. But it makes you wonder how many other athletes have been affected by a lot of these challenges. Now, obviously, in the NFL, with the concussions and a lot of other things, we can kind of explain it. But in baseball, I mean, we've had a couple of guys that – maybe weren't as mentally sound as others, and you wonder maybe if they were inflicted. I think that the most unique thing is within the last two calendar years in every major sport, uh, one that flashes to mind immediately is Kevin Love, the great UCLA player, had a long run with the Cleveland Cavaliers. He battled depression. He went and he got help. We've seen it in the NBA. We've seen it in the NHL. We've seen it sparingly in Major League Baseball. But the fact that players are now standing up and saying it's okay 
to come front and center and say, mm-hmm. I need help. And the union is there to help them. You should have been a baseball player. I should have been in the NFL. Would would have had better health care than we currently have in modern day society. Yeah. <laughs> so the unions and the Players Association, John, have done a phenomenal job helping troubled players. And it, it only takes one or two with the courage to stand up and say, yes, I have fought depression. Yes, I've had suicidal thoughts to see people rally around those guys and to see the union direct them. But the players have Players are the ones who have to make the decision to make it public. They have to make it. It doesn't even have to be public. They call the 800 number the union provides them, and it's all confidential. But the fact that players have now stepped up front and center and said, yes, this has existed in my life, and you can get help to do it. It's it's hugely hugely important. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of like you know that tough guy thing, right? Where guys don't want to admit that you know maybe they have a challenge there. Um, so it's good to see acknowledgement. It's good to see the league and the players accepting reality. And, you know, this is kind of reflective of what's happening throughout society. So good on the Dodgers for taking care of him. Let's hope he comes back. I remember like in 2017 or so seeing him out there in the outfield. I mean, that's when Trace Thompson came up at the same time with the Dodgers. So let's uh, let's hope this guy gets back on his feet. Okay, next topic will be basketball. But first, John, tell people about how they can subscribe. Tell people how they can be part of what we do at the end of the show, which is kind of taken off fans (laughs) forum. Yeah, the fans forum. You can get involved. I mean, we already got one question that's popped up in here. So just drop your question for Hacksaw, your your hot take. Put it in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube. We'll see it here. We'll get you involved in the fans forum segment at the conclusion of Hacksaw's headlines. And yeah, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe on YouTube. Click on that bell if you want to get alerts when we have new live streams or new video clips that are presented throughout the week. We have 1,400 plus subscribers already. Are you going to be 1,401? want you to subscribe. And by the way, go to my website. It's right the title's right up the top of the screen, leehacksawhamilton.com. It's all written. And when you go there, you can also subscribe. And when you go there, give us a thumbs up that you like what we're doing. March Madness, let's talk hoops. Yeah, this is big right here. The Aztecs Sweet 16. I've been looking forward to this for years, and now they're finally here. They're playing number one Alabama. This is a tough assignment. I will tell you going into the Friday night game with Bama, something has really changed in college basketball. The national beat writers are writing about the matchups. The beat writers are writing about who's hot, like Alabama. The beat writers are writing about who's Cinderella. San Diego State is no longer viewed as a Cinderella team, which means San Diego State, quote, has arrived as a big boy. Hmm. When they're talking Cinderella, they're talking Princeton, they're talking Florida Atlantic. They're not talking the red and black, which means San Diego State has now made that move. Thank you, Steve Fisher. Thank you, Brian Dutcher. Big storyline, Aztecs, Alabama, Friday night. Can they control Alabama's bigs? Aztecs have approximately 25 fouls to use from their bigs in that game, John. It's a huge challenge because they, outside of the time they played the University of Arizona in the Maui Invitational, they've not played anybody with this kind of bulk. They go 6'9", 6'10", 7'. They are huge. They're athletic. They're physical. They don't have a lot of depth on the front line. 
if Alabama got any of their guys in foul trouble, then maybe the chemistry of the game would change. But San Diego State, like I say, when you start with Nathan Menson, you go all the way down the board. They got approximately 25 fouls to use to try to control the big. So how are they going to handle the physicality of what's going on up front? How are they going to handle Brandon Miller? Maybe the player of the year in college basketball, averaging 19 points, eight rebounds a game, six nine forward who runs the floor, plays above the rim, and shoots the lights out long distance. How are they going to handle Quinterly? Their young guard is averaging nine points, five assists per game. He shoots the three. He runs the offense. If you got a great point guard in March Madness, you got a chance to go really deep. San Diego State. I mean, they've mugged people inside on offense. They've done the exact same thing, body bag people with the physicality on defense. Will the refs let them play that way? Because the refs have let them bang on Charleston and on Furman. I think it's an enormous challenge. San Diego State's calling card is their defense. Alabama's calling card is not only their offense, and they average 82 per game, but also their defense because they're shutting the other guy down. They're beating the other guy up at the other end of the court. I just think it's going to be a heck of a game. Where is San Diego State's offense going to come from? Are they going to be able to get the ball in low for Mensa and uh, Ladie and those guys to score? Are they going to be able to create and generate three-point shots on a consistent basis? Because that has not happened. Most of the season have been very erratic there. It's a phenomenal matchup. Can't wait to see the X's and O's. Are the refs going to let these guys play? Or are we going to start having a parade to the free-throw line because they're going to start calling fouls because the game gets so rugged inside between their bigs? And all the red and black bigs. Yeah, I'm, I, this is going to be a great game. And, and what an opportunity to play the number one team in the country to say that they have arrived. I mean, imagine if they knock off Alabama. I mean, that would be tremendous. I have confidence in Dutcher and Dave Velasquez. They've got a defensive scheme to, to go after the Alabama's bigs. The worry I have, as you said, are, is our offense going to perform because Alabama's defense is tough. But I want to ask you, Hacksaw, what did you hear the comments from Nick Saban talking about you know the the the, um, the Brandon Miller situation and uh, condemning really the basketball program in Alabama for letting this guy keep playing? Well, Nick Saban made these comments because he just suspended one of his top recruits who was involved in a 141 mile an hour chase with police, possession of marijuana, and a large amount of cash. Really bad story. He suspended him on the spot, and he kind of referenced the Brandon Miller situation, the fact that Alabama's basketball program and the athletic department did nothing to Brandon Miller when Miller was somewhat implicated in, quote, the delivery of a gun to Darius Miles, another player who then gave the gun to a friend of his who killed a woman in an argument after an incident at a bar. My theory is the kid should have been removed from the program for an interim amount of time. Now, he was never charged. But if you're Brandon Miller and you got a phone call from your teammate Darius Miles who said, I need you to bring my car and a weapon. He gets in the car, delivers the car and leaves. Does he not bear responsibility for delivering the weapon that Miles used to hand to his third friend who then committed the mm-hmm. shooting? It's a huge issue. It's not been a distraction. Brandon Miller has answered the questions the best he can. The coaching staff said, yeah, maybe we should have looked at it a little bit differently, but we didn't. They let him play the entire season. That's why they're sitting there uh, in the Sweet 16, maybe Final Four with the possible player of the year. Brandon Miller was removed. 
from the John Wooden list. He will not be a finalist to be actually the college player of the year because of that situation. He's not not been charged, but he, quote, was involved. And Nick Saban saying, you are what you are. There's no such thing as being in the wrong place, wrong time, because you made the decision to be in that place and in that situation. Mm-hmm. It is pretty strong stuff. I give I give Nick Saban a lot of credit for standing up. Other basketball game. Let's talk about this one. It's a Thursday night game. UCLA-Gonzaga. The key word in this description is going to be experience. I mean, the Bruins got knocked out by the Zags last year as they, as they were fighting to get to the Final Four. They both got tons of experience back. UCLA with Jaime Jaquez, Tiger Campbell, uh, guys off the bench. Gonzaga, with maybe the most mobile, active 6'10 guy that I know in Drew Timmy, and a couple of other guards who've been there before for Gonzaga. It's going to be a great game. Uh, I don't know how UCLA defends Drew Timmy, because I've not seen a lot of big guys that operate at all different corners of the floor. I mean, they run him down low in the post, and he makes baskets. They run him through screens. He hits three-point shots out of the corner. They run him to the top of the key. He hits shots there, or he puts it on the floor and takes it to the rim. Uh, He's a complete basketball player. And UCLA's got a big problem because their big freshman center has got chronic shoulder problems, has been in and out of the lineup, and can't stay on the floor because he's hurting. How are you going to defend him? Are you going to ask Jaime Jaquez to man up? against Drew Timmy and give up four inches on the post? Wow. Um, and, you know, offense has been a bit of a challenge for UCLA. I think they're going to have to run this offense through the freshman guard, Amir Bailey. And if he can hit threes and if he get jump shots outside, that's going to open things up. But otherwise, Gonzaga is just going to pound the ball into the big guy and the big guy who elected to bypass the NBA, come back for an extra year in Spokane with Mark Few. He's a really dangerous player, really good player. Yeah, I, I think Timmy bypassed the NBA because a lot of people don't think he can compete at that level. But he, at the college level, he could be one of the top players in the country. Um, I'm rooting for UCLA. I remember the year when Jim Herrick's team went all the way in the 90s with Tyus Edney, and, and it was a great team and a lot of fun. So I'm hoping UCLA can get over the hump and beat Gonzaga, and it's going to be even better for Southern California basketball. Well, I think it's the highlight game on the Thursday night schedule, and the Aztecs, of course, play on Friday. Let's go to the NBA, because that's another topic on the table, and this is not good news. No, I mean, the, the, talking about SoCal basketball, now we've got more injuries piling up with these teams. I know the Lakers have been losing. They're slipping out of playoff contention. In the fight, in the final 10 games of the season, covering the next two and a half weeks, there's not much difference between the 7th place team in the West and the 12th place team in the West. In fact, you got you got six teams, John, separated by two games in the standings, fighting to get in to those final spots. Lakers do not want to be in the play-in game. If they finish 7th, 8th, ninth, or 10th, they have to play a one-game series in. If they win that, they play a second play-in game. They're trying to get as high as they can as six. But you got LeBron James, who's, who's out still. And he's just started physical activity. He's got tendon damage in his foot. He just continues to have these physical woes. Anthony Davis is playing like a man possessed. He should for the amount of money that he's making. The unique thing is they've kind of uncovered a third wheel. This is Austin Reeves, and they put him in the starting lineup. He had 35 points the other night coming off the bench. Now they made him a starter. He got 18 more in his second start, and he's become really reliable with the ball in his hand, either making the right pass 
or making the right shot. And they've still got D'Angelo Russell, whom they got at the trade deadline. But it, it's still a struggle because you just never know night to night whether they have enough firepower to continue to win. they got to win. The thing that helps them is they're playing a much weaker schedule. The Clippers situation, you know, they're sitting there sixth or seventh, but they're hurt. Paul George, sprained knee, out the rest of the regular season. Nobody knows whether he's going to be able to play in three weeks. And the whole team changes if he's not there. There's so much on the shoulders of Kawhi Leonard. Big disappointment, Russell Westbrook, square peg round hole, doesn't seem to fit what the Clippers are running. And they thought maybe he would fit what they're running. Has not happened. So, the you know, the Lakers are, are scrambling to trying to climb up the ladder to avoid the play-in game. The Clippers are hurting again, trying to hold on to where they are uh, on that sixth rung and not drop into having to be involved in the play-in games. Thoughts? Yeah, it's interesting, too, because, you know, the Lakers, with all of their history, have been so dominant. And now they're in this struggle. You know, are they going to get the team together? It seems like, you know, Jeannie Buss's strategy is not working. Working. Um, I'm curious to see what they end up doing next year, you know, besides the fact of what happens now. But the Clippers, I just go back to the franchise has been cursed for so long. And, and you know, when they signed Kawhi and Paul George and, and, and you, you had Steve Ballard there, you know, at the press conference cheering everybody on, it looked like a, a bright future. But you seem you can't get both these guys on the court for any extended period of time. I mean, the Clippers, are they doomed? Cursed, my goodness. <laughs> and we're just not talking about the Kawhi PG situation. Track back before that, when they put that consortium roster together of Blake Griffin and Chris Paul, mm-hmm. and what happened? Injuries. It just broke down. So it's not, not a good situation for the Clippers. Uh, not a good situation in the NBA. I guess we're holding our breath on what's going to happen next, because something always happens next in Memphis with John Morant and the Grizzlies. Yeah, I mean, this story keeps unfolding. We were just talking about Brandon Miller and guns. Now it's John Morant. I mean, what's the latest, Hacksaw? Well, he, he was gone for eight games, suspended by Adam Silver. Eight games without pay, $2 million in fine for multiple gun incidents. Never got charged by the police. However, he took a leave of absence. He went to a center in Florida. He spent 11 nights as an inpatient admittance for counseling. Wow. Has come out of that center. Has held two press conferences. He said all the right things about, I got to be responsible. That's my new job. I'm not, I'm not completely healthy. And he talked about bad decisions, and he talked about guns, and he talked about his bad posse. So only time will tell whether he's going to reinvent himself as a person so that he continue to be a great player. But he's one more incident away from really having significant discipline problems uh, with the National Basketball Association. And they need him. I mean, Memphis is one of those teams out west here that's in this mad scramble. They've had so many injuries. And then he does this to himself and he does this to his organization. We'll find out whether or not he's learned from this. I'm, I'm not the kind of guy that thinks you can go into an intensive rehab program in 11 days like you're taking your car to the car wash and everything's fine. Mm-hmm. That's not the case. This is a long process for him. We'll see if he's dedicated to the process. And like I told you weeks ago, the first time we touched this topic on the table, this kid has to rid himself of the posse because I think that's where he's being led astray. And he has to make better decisions on who he's going to run with 
when he's not with his teammates on the court. Yeah, I mean, this kid is a spectacular player. And the young the young boys and girls that follow the NBA really look up to him. Um, so you want this guy to, you know, kind of get straight. But it's, isn't it interesting how we've been talking in this podcast about gun issues and mental health issues and, and how those kind of cross over? Yes. And usually when it's a gun issue, we kind of frame him bad guy and try to shun him. But there is a pathway maybe to help these guys. And 11 days and inpatient, that's not enough. But perhaps, you know, with the right kind of counseling, these guys could come through. But it's good, it's healthy to see the NBA taking this approach to try to bring them in and try to kind of straighten them out. That's a responsibility to himself, to his organization, to his fans in the community. We'll see if John Moran can straighten himself out. Before we move to football, boy, we've got a lot to run through very quickly. Just tell people again about Fans Forum. Okay, yeah, you can get involved in the Fans Forum. If you got a question, a hot take for Hacksaw, you know, just like in the days at 690 and 1090, get those lines lit. You can call in. Just put in your question or comment in the Facebook or YouTube live chat. We'll get you here up on the screen. And in the Fans Forum segment, we'll uh, drop your take for Hacksaw. And check my website. It's all written, Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. Com, one Man's Opinion column, the best 15 minutes in sports, and my Hacksaw 1090 mini polls. And by the way, when you sample what we're doing with our podcast, give us a thumbs up. Let us know that you like what we're doing. On we go. Let's talk NFL football. Yeah. So the Austin Eckler saga just keeps unfolding. And I'll tell you what, we've been putting a lot of these Austin Eckler clips up on YouTube. There's great fan interest on what the Chargers are going to do here. Chargers have not had any public response to Austin Eckler's demand to be traded. Everybody around the NFL is of the opinion the Chargers have mishandled the situation. He finally spoke out in public. Uh, he indicated, I deserve a pay raise. Uh, amongst the other quotes, uh, I, I am so underpaid as equal to what I've contributed to this team over the last four years. He's earning $6.2 million on the final year of his contract. I want to be on a team that wants me. That's pretty strong condemnation of the Chargers' approach to dealing with him. Uh, I, you know, only, only getting half my true value the way I'm being paid right now by the Bolts. Now, I will say this. The NFL has downgraded the importance of star running back. It's not Jim Brown era. It's not mm-hmm. Gale Sayles era. It's not even Ezekiel Elliott era anymore. He's making 6.2. Zeke Elliott turned down a pay cut down to $5 million. Derrick Henry in Tennessee, the top heavy-duty running back, is making 6. He's on the trade block. Kareem Hunt, kind of an important contributor in Kansas City and Cleveland, uh, he's still unsigned on the open market. So I think the league is kind of devaluing the running backs. I don't know that Eckler is going to get a massive pay bump. I like the Chargers to take care of this kid. He's the 15th highest paid back in the league. Without him, this is half an offense that have in L.A. My gut feel is they should they should bump him up immediately to $10 million and then negotiate a two- or three-year extension beyond that. They haven't made a move in that direction. Now, they're, they're juggling dollars because of, they've got to take care of Justin Herbert, the quarterback who's headed to the final year of his contract. What is that price tag going to look like? But if, if you deal this guy away because you're peeved that he went public and did this, you're cutting off your left arm because he's a significant piece that makes Justin Herbert successful and makes the wide receivers dangerous. If you got no running game, 
Justin Herbert's looking at an eight-man package defensively in the secondary, and how is he going to get the ball down the field? So Chargers have to solve this situation because you're not going to get a heavy-duty back in the draft, and you don't have a heavy-duty back that is an NFL-proven commodity currently on your roster tonight. So this, to me, is remarkable because what he said— He's right. <laughs> you know, all those quotes that you shared, he ain't wrong. He's right. Uh, but it goes back to the math. And I don't know how they're going to figure out how to get all this under the cap. But who are some of the top paid running backs in the league right now? Well, the guys that I just mentioned. But all their numbers outside of Zeke Elliott, who was making 10, and they asked him to take a cut to five. On top of that, everybody is making in about the $6 million range because the league is devalued running backs. It's more about quarterbacks. It's more about left tackles. It's more about wide receivers. Well, the wide receivers for the Chargers are going to be getting $30 million each well, next that'll year. that'll be their cap figure next yeah. year, and somebody's going to disappear off the roster because they can't keep those guys. Mm-hmm. So we'll see where the Eckler thing goes. we got the draft next. He's not real happy. And if you have an unhappy player in the final year of his contract, I don't, I don't like the look of that. Let's go to one guy who's no longer in the NFL, but his name is front and center everywhere. Yeah, I mean, everyone talking about Tom Brady and, and the Giselle, and you know, Giselle's been back in the news, and she's been making some comments about how their relationship broke down, but this is like TMZ. We're covering it all. So, Hacksaw, what do you got here? All right. Giselle finally went public in a lengthy interview in Vanity Fair magazine. She indicated that she never, ever gave Tom Brady an ultimatum. Husband versus NFL quarterback. He can't be both. Did they have differences of opinion as he continued to play into the age 40s through 45? Yes, they had discussions. She said, it's not like I don't love him anymore, but people grow apart when their careers take them in different directions. Totally denied all the insinuations on social, unsocial media that she gave the quarterback an ultimatum. And that led to the divorce when he did not step away from the National Football League, said that is absolutely not true. However, she called this marriage to a superstar, and she's a superstar in her own right, is a large puzzle. And sometimes it's hard to make the pieces of the puzzle fit together. Mm-hmm. So that they had issues. They're friends. They're jointly taking care of the kids. One thing she did make reference to, uh, which really surprised me when I read it, was that she felt really stung by what happened with FTX, cryptocurrency. Oh, yeah. If you remember months ago, I told you that Tom Brady lost $45 million because he was a key investor in cryptocurrency. She lost about $25 million. And she felt that she was led astray. And her quote about the personal finance people the recommended to them they do this is that we were victimized by grift. Uh, so there, there's some angst there about how their investments blew up in their face, what they lost. And, you know, they're being dragged into the middle like all the other great athletes who dove into this FTX thing. Now they're in the process of being sued by common Americans who lost everything they had because they followed what Tom Brady and Giselle had to say about, mm-hmm. come join us. Yeah, I mean, that was just really disappointing. But, you know, the whole FTX thing, I mean, a lot of people are trying to make it about crypto and crypto is bad. But really, that company committed fraud. And and now ultimately, that was the law that they broke. And there's a lot of celebrities got caught up in that mess. You know, one I read some of the comments from Giselle as well. And the, what she had to say really kind of made sense. You know, it's like we, we have careers, our lives unfold. We kind of pursue the our own happiness in our own ways. And you hope that we can do it together. 
And but sometimes you drift apart. And it seems like that's what happened. So, you know, uh, just yeah, as, a, as a football fan, you know, you want to see Tom Brady have a good life, you know, but it seems like at least this didn't end, end in a in a vicious way. I think the pointed word where she said marriage is always a middle ground. There was no middle ground. Because he was so all in on who he had to be and how he had to prepare to be an NFL star quarterback through age 45 that there was no middle ground on the marriage. So mm. that's where we are. Other NFL topics, because we're waiting for the shoes to fall here and it hasn't <laughs> happened yet. Yeah, I mean, this Aaron Rodgers thing has just been going on forever. I mean, are they going to get a deal done with the Jets? Well, they're talking to the Jets, but the, the words being used right now in the inner circle, the NFL is impasse, that they can't come to a decision, the Jets and Green Bay, over what the trade package will be. Green Bay asked for number one. Jets said, I'm not, we're not trading a number one for a 30-year-old quarterback. Then Green Bay said, we want a two. Well, the Jets looked at that and said, we'll consider that. But then Green Bay came back and said, well, actually, we want two number twos. If he elects to play beyond 2023, he's going to play in 24 or 25, we want another second-round pick thrown into the equation. And at this point, the Jets saying, that's an awful big price to pay for a 38-year-old guy. Uh, they, now, what just happened, though, on Wednesday is the Jets made another trade. They traded one of their top young receivers, Elijah Mitchell, uh, and, and he he was dealt away for a second-round draft pick. So the Jets have now stockpiled multiple number twos for the April draft. So maybe the Jets' thinking is is pretty much changed. Okay, we'll give you two number twos, and they're going to negotiate a restructured contract with Rodgers. Rodgers has to be there for the OTAs and everything else because they're going to try to hit the floor running with this new quarterback, and the quarterback could be for 23 and 24 and maybe even 25 if he elects to go forward. But I'm surprised the deal has stalled right now. But again, Green Bay is in a situation where they want to get him off the books, and it's going to it's going to kill him with a cap. They've done nothing in free agency. It's going to kill him with a cap. They took a forty million dollar cap hit this year to end the Aaron Rodgers era. So that's that's one big story to uh, keep an eye on. Uh, other big stories around the National Football League. We can talk about uh, a Lamar Jackson situation. Uh, this is unresolved too. Uh, Baltimore Ravens, Lamar Jackson, and and what's going to transpire there? He's a franchise tag free agent. Uh, Steve Bishotti, the owner of the Ravens, said on Thursday morning that nobody is going to do a Deshaun Watson contract on any quarterback. That's not going to be the new norm in the NFL, including us. So that's the arguing point that Lamar Jackson wants five years guaranteed, $250 million, lock, stock, and barrel. Baltimore says no. Other clubs would have to deal with the same storyline if Lamar calls Washington or calls Indianapolis or says, I'm interested in talking to you. Would one of those clubs break ranks and do what Cleveland did with a full guaranteed contract across the board? Sidebar story, the NFL union is investigating allegations. Lamar Jackson, he's got friends everywhere, is using a couple of lawyers who are not certified agents to make contacts with teams to talk about structure of deal. You can't use a non-certified agent to negotiate a contract. What is Lamar Jackson doing? He's creating an uproar for himself, the league has already informed him, you can't use John Riley to negotiate this mm-hmm. contract. Don't you dare call Lee <laughs> Hamilton and have him go to that club. They're not certified. So it's, it's a big issue for Lamar Jackson, who's doing all this by himself. Keep, keep that thing 
front and center because this thing has not been resolved from Baltimore's standpoint. They've dug their heels in. Looks like Lamar Jackson's dug his heels in, too. One other story, NFL owners meeting. Is this the week they remove Daniel Snyder as the owner of the Washington Commanders? Uh, The longer we go, the deeper the dirt on this guy is. It's absolutely stunning. He's being investigated by the National Football League for toxic workplace cultural environment. Top five executives all forced to resign. The insinuations uh, that he had an uh, out-of-court $1.6 million sexual assault lawsuit that he settled himself, that he committed an indecent act on a team plane. Uh, Now we find out that he took out a $55 million loan, did not inform the National Football League of that. And if that's not enough, now we find out with the money he got illegally without league supervision, he assigned to himself a paycheck of $10 million a year to be the owner of the team from that loan. And then as he does all these business deals, he charged his team $4.5 million to put the team logo on his private plane, send me the check for $4.5 million so I can put it in my account. This stuff goes on and on and on, and he still owns the team, and they have not ended the investigation. There's, he could be, there could be a vote coming at this owner's meeting in Phoenix to actually remove them, rather than just, Dan, it's time you sell. You better sell right now. And I think there's an undergrain store there. You know, the junk that he, he dropped hints. I have a lot of dirt on you. I can get you out of the NFL too, you know. Holy cow. Now we got extortion. Uh, bad situation. Bad leader. Bad owner. Bad black eye on the league too. Yeah, it's something. I mean, but this is this crisis is another one that's been unfolding for a long time. But to me, I, I find this story and even going back to the Lamar Jackson and Aaron Rodgers story, what's similar here is that it, what happens with business relationships in the NFL is so different than what happens in the rest of the economy. You know, so if you're a disgruntled star player, a quarterback, and you don't want to work for that company, you can switch to another company, but not in the NFL. And then also, if you are an owner that is, you know, immoral and doing terrible things, you can't be removed, you know, but in the NFL, you can. So I, I think this is very fascinating. I hope that the NFL does something here with Snyder. I mean, at, they have to discipline this guy for what's been going down. Well, the, the storyline is that he and his wife, because he was suspended for a full calendar year and fined $10 million by the league, but he and his wife have cleaned out their offices at Redskins Park. Now, most people of the opinion that this is the beginning of the actual transfer of ownership. So he's he's out of the building. Oh, okay. Now, now the Snyders are still, quote, making whatever decisions need to be made, but he is not on the grounds any longer, and she is not on the grounds any longer. Fascinating story. Let's talk college football because we got two teams in town that got issues here. This is quite a story. San Diego State's wrapped up spring football. It's been it's it, it's been a really intriguing fifteen practices as they get to the red and black scrimmage. The big storyline with Brady Hoke, he's got a major rebuild job in front of him. Not talking about it a great deal, but he's got to rebuild his offensive line. He's got to get three new starters. He lost his top lineman who jumped into the transfer portal. Won't talk about why, but this is the second blue chip recruit within a year because the quarterback Will Haskell. Left prior to that. Mm-hmm. Now Josh Simmons is vacated. He raved about the six seven three hundred ten pound right tackle. He played all this year, and suddenly he's gone. 
So he's got to replace three offensive linemen. He's got to replace two wide receivers who have graduated. They're still trying to model and mold the quarterback. Jalen Maiden's come back for one extra year. He's got to replace all three of his defensive line starters. He's got to replace two starters at linebacker. That's a lot. A lot of young guys are going to have to step to the forefront. So he's got to rebuild this roster. And I, I tend to think San Diego State's got to rebuild its credibility within the community mm-hmm. because they got a lot of issues based on what happened all last year, a lot of issues with the failed opening of Snapdragon Stadium. They play a great home schedule. My goodness, if you like college football, you want to buy a season ticket and just participate. I mean, they get Boise here, Fresno here, Nevada here, and they get UCLA here. And so, Ohio. And Ohio. <laughs> and it's it's a hell of a non-conference schedule and a conference league schedule at home. But So they got to rebuild roster, rebuild credibility. The other team in town, and I, I don't like the way this looks at the University of San Diego, they sent out a glowing press release on Wednesday 80-year-old head coach Dale Lindsay's done a phenomenal job, 80 and 30 in his career, seven Pioneer League titles for the non-scholarship program. Took him to the 1AA playoffs where they'd never, ever been before. Um, Dale Lindsay press release announces he is retiring, all these accolades, all the things he accomplished. He comes back Wednesday night, tells the media, I have not bleeping retired. I was fired. No, no reason given. Hmm. I walked into the athletic department, met with the AD. He says, we're making a coaching change. End of discussion. So this this really looks bad at the university to do this to a guy who is 80 and 30. Granted, he is 80 years of age. I don't know whether or not there's going to be litigation about this over, quote, age discrimination. But I know, I know this. The Bill McGillis, the athletic director, said a year ago, Dale Lindsay can coach here as long as he wants. Hmm. And now he's out. And this looks bad for the former AD who's now in the upper echelon of the operation of the university, Kai Snyder, because he had to sign off on this. It's, to me, it's a really strange way to do business. And Dale Lindsay's old school coach, no doubt about it, crusty. But you <laughs> listen to the players talk hmm. about his values, how he taught them. Um, Dale Lindsay, you know, played for the Cleveland Browns, old school linebacker, longtime assistant coach in the NFL, multiple tours with the Chargers, including the defense that got him to the Super Bowl in the Junior Seau era, uh, Washington Redskins uh, coordinator. I, to me, it's, it's just a bad look for the university that a year after you said he could coach here as long as he wants, you're doing this to him with no rationale and no reason. You won't answer any questions. Aside from the fact he's 80 years of age. So you tell me. Yeah, and that's amazing. I mean, both circumstances are interesting. But with USD, I mean, they had a lot of trouble with the basketball program some time ago with the previous you know, regime and some of the... the Lamont Smith. Yeah, all that. Bill McGillis hire. So you figure the NF, uh, the football side of the equation, you figured ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, So way you're monkeying around there, just focus on getting basketball right. But when it goes to the Aztecs too, it's interesting how... 
Brian Dutcher and Brady Hoke are different, right? I mean, Dutcher is able to keep his guys very few transfer out. He's able to reload, rebuild every year, but there seems to be a lot of disarray with the football program. Well, basketball, you're talking five starters in a 12-man roster. College football, you're talking 22 starters in a 105-man roster. And the and the NIL and the transfer portal, I think, has really impacted a lot of football. Uh, I'm hoping that what we saw last year at San Diego State was a, quote, one-off, that this thing will bounce back. Uh, and this USD thing, I don't think we've heard the end of the story yet. All right, one final comment here about uh, subscribing before we get to the final question, and then we're going to move into the Fans Forum segment. Okay, yeah, so if you want to subscribe, you know, click on that subscribe button there on, on YouTube and click on the bell. You get all the updates for the new live streams, all the new video clips that we're doing. And uh, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. On. We're on all the audio platforms. Okay, let's uh, go to this story. Uh, we're touching bases on soccer. And we're touching bases on hockey. Let's start, first of all, hockey. That flag on the left is the flag of Russia. The International Ice Hockey Federation, which is all-powerful and encompasses all global hockey, has expelled Russia and Belarus for the 2023 and 2024 World Cup Hockey Championships Hmm. and the World Junior Hockey Championships. This is where the elite of the globe play against each other in the World Championships. This is where all the young prospects play in a phenomenal international tournament. Russia and Belarus, because of what happened in Ukraine, have been forcibly removed. So it's happened in hockey, and we talked about a couple of weeks ago whether it was going to happen in the Paris Olympics. The IOC is going to meet Tuesday in Lausanne, Switzerland, to talk specifically about the 40 countries, including the U.S., that have now signed a letter with Ukraine asking the IOC to expel all Russian athletes from the 2024 Olympics. IOC's response is, how can I penalize these innocent players just because their passport has a Russian stamp on it? Mm -hmm. So that bears watching, but hockey has done it. They've taken them out completely from the world championships and the world juniors. Soccer. Team USA getting ready to begin competition heading towards the Gold Cup, which is the first of the massive tournaments that leads us towards 2026 in the World Cup of Soccer. Uh, There's been no solution to the Greg Berhalter coaching situation. However, Gia Reyna, Ricardo Pepe, Alejandro Zendejas, three of the future stars maybe of Team USA, or with the U.S. squad, will compete in the friendlies as they get ready to play Granada, as they get ready to go towards the Gold Cup tournament, which is really, really important. So they got their guys back. They seemingly have settled the problem within the room between what Reina said, what Reina did at the World Cup, how Reina's family's acted. They've evidently set that aside. And where is Burhalter? Well, he's not coaching Team USA. Get this. You got a pencil? Connect the dots here on this one. <laughs> Get this, Burhalter is in England. Hot rumor is that somebody in the English Premier League looking for a coach manager might hire Greg Burhalter. Wow. Uh, Crystal Palace just fired their coach. There was another opening a couple of weeks ago. Does Burhalter wind up going to the English Premier League and just look back and say, I did the best I could at Team USA and I, got, I was put in a very bad place by the Reina family. I'm not coming back. Keep an eye on that storyline, too. 
Reaction to hockey, reaction to soccer. Well, I mean, the hockey thing, we, we've talked about it before, you know, with the Olympics and and you know, penalizing the players and penalizing the nation. I mean, if you you often say if you were king, I mean, you are the franchise. What would you do? Would you ban the nation? Would you let them come under a, a generic flag? What would you do? I'd make them come under a generic flag. I, I just don't think you can penalize the players for what the leader of the country is doing behind the Iron Curtain Soviet Union wall that they built again. Um, I just don't think you can punish the athlete. I, I think it's really, really unfair. I felt horrible back in the day in the Jimmy Carter era. Was it 1980 mm-hmm. that our guys did not go to Moscow? These athletes, these Americans had trained for four years to be the ultimate in their sport, to represent their flag and not allowed uh, to participate. So I wouldn't do that. And if Burhalter left, all we can say is thank you, because I think he did a tremendous job. And I'd, if if I were coach, I'd have a hard time being in the room with Gio Reyna after what his family did. Mm. But then maybe if you're a big enough man, you can set that aside because you're playing for the flag. Time will tell where this road travels takes Burhalter and whether this rumor that he might wind up in the English Premier League is is true. Okay, those are enough topics on the table. Time for Fans Forum. You got a question, we got an answer. Feel free to fire away. John, these are all your best buddies. You will go drinking <laughs> yeah. with them. Go yeah. ahead. We got some good comments on here. And this uh, this first one is from Manny N. He says, how much money will Otani get this MLB offseason? Is $600 million a crazy number? Also, how long would he last as a two-way player? Well, I, I think the most unique thing about Otani is his ability to handle the mental preparation, John, because he's got to prepare to be a DH four to five nights a week. So that means all the regiment of batting practice, running the bases, that thing scoping out. But he's also got to prepare to be a pitcher on the sixth night of the week. And that means all the mental focus, throwing between starts, the bullpen sessions, all the video study you need to do to look at batting orders, reading the volume of information from the the metric guys, the scouting reports. He has just been able to do that. And that, that to me, is a remarkable thing. And then, by the way, guy's a power-hitting outfielder, hits 280, and the guy's got a <laughs> 2.55 ERA who's a dominant pitcher on the mound. I would think the wear and tear factor just has to be unbelievable. Price tag, I, w- I would think 40 to $50 million per year. It'll be interesting to see whether that's Angels, whether that's Dodgers. Might it be Seattle? I think it's going to be a West Coast team. Might it be the Padres if things change with the Padre roster? That, to me, seems a little far-fetched. But what an, one of the most unique individuals, human beings, intelligentsia-type guy I've ever seen in the game. Yeah, he's Superman. I mean, he is unbelievable, and he's going to be worth every penny he gets. And besides, he not only can he throw, can he hit? I mean, he's fast. Did you see him beat that one play at first base in one of the games in the WBC? So, yeah, the offseason next season, next year, that's Dodger fans are salivating right now. The, the, <laughs> the most unique thing about the WBC was as we got to the ninth inning, and, uh, of course— John Smoltz was just talking extensively about the intricacy of doing what Otani has done. And just to sit here, sit there and listen to him explain preparation for this, the physical preparation, the mental evaluation. Mm. And then, by the way, you're a pitcher, so you got to do this, this and this. <laughs> That's too. a lot. I mean, it was, John Smoltz described it. 
to the perfection of the responsibility of Shoah Otani mm-hmm. and, and what Superman has become. Okay, next question. All right, moving on here. So uh, this is from uh, Steve Zach Bradford, uh, Botsford, excuse me. He says, how do you see San Diego State doing tomorrow, Hacksaw? Aztecs are going to have to be careful how many fouls their starters get. You know, I, I joked about the fact, well, they got five bigs. That's 25 fouls to use. But you don't want Mensa and you don't want Ladie going out five minutes into the first half because they got back-to-back fouls. It's going to be really hard uh, for them physically to hold up because Brandon Miller is so explosive around the rim, runs the floor, takes the shots, and their other two bigs are huge. And you know, since they have since they played Arizona in the Maui Invitational, they've never faced anybody this big. I mean, these guys are six. Nine, six, ten, seven across the front line. Um, it's going to be a big, big challenge. And I think the other factor, can the Aztecs hit threes? Because they're going to have to hit threes to counteract what Alabama is going to do with Brandon Miller and all the different ways they're going to run sets for him and ball screens and the, and the fact that they've got two other guys who can score the ball really well, some inside, some outside. Good game. Um I'm I'm fearful they're going to get overrun. I sure hope it's not 81-57, but it might be 81-57. But that's why you play the game. The the way you play the day you play, Mm -hmm. that's what we're going to be talking about. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic. And I remember the game when Aztecs played um, Arizona and Maui. And it was clear that their big men pushed us around. But uh, Mark Ziegler, in one of his recent columns, he talked about how they learned certain things from that Arizona game and how it made them a better team. And so now the way, what do they call it, duck in? It's kind of kind of their defensive alignment on how they're uh, you know handling the bigs down low. Maybe this is going to give them that secret weapon to to get over the hump. And imagine if the Aztecs could beat the number one overall, get to the Elite Eight. I mean, this city is going to be on fire if that happens. Well. Please understand this, and I, I'm, I'm not going to argue whether the cup should be half full or half empty. Please understand this. Their bigs mugged an undersized Furman team and a smaller College of Charleston team. Mm-hmm. They're not playing anybody in the Mountain West now. They're playing <laughs> yeah. big boys. Last yes. I checked, number one Alabama. But, hey, they deserve to be there. Doggone it. If they could beat the Tide, that'd be a 30-win season. Think about that. And I was the dummy that said, yeah, they have the potential to win 30. And then I wasn't sure it was going to happen. So it's right there out, out front for them to make me look good again. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be great. I'm looking forward to it. Next and then question. tonight we've got UCLA and Gonzaga. So uh, this is from Hustle or Nothing. He says, how do you get fired after no losing seasons after the spring game? Yeah, you're talking about the whole USD fiasco, and I think it is a fiasco. And I th- uh, The burning question, if, if this was a decision made because your coach is about to turn 80 years of age, if this was the decision made, then you should have done it right at the end of the season. Now, maybe he was not going to go quietly. Maybe that was a big issue. But if you were to have a new coach and a new system, you would want that guy in place to go through the whole teaching mechanism for what spring football is all about because they had to choose, select a new quarterback. So I, I just think this this whole thing is way over the line in terms of how they handled it and the lack of transparency of the decision they made. Now, John, you know the law better than I do because you didn't cut day, uh, law class the day they taught it at UCSD. I went drinking the day they taught it at Ohio U. Age discrimination, 
age 80? Does does somebody who might have the ability to sue that said they told me I could have the job as long as they want, now they're taking me out at age 80? Or is it age 65 where the threshold is and you can't go beyond that for age discrimination? Yeah, it's weird because if it, if it is an age discrimination thing, you think they would have done it long ago. Um, so there's got to be something else going on here that I that we're unaware of. One thing we're aware of is that's a good football man, old school as he might be, with an 80 and 30 record. March on. March on. Let's take a look at some of these uh, YouTube comments. We've got a bunch of them here. It's another one about the Aztecs. This is interesting from Michael Dabbler. He says, hello, guys. Great show. If Mr. Dutcher wins two more games and reaches the final four, will our coach get his contract redone or an extension? I'm sure other schools will be calling San Diego. He's a really unique guy. You know, he's a North County guy. He lives right here in Rancho Bernardo, right near, near me. Uh, I don't think he'd ever leave here. He's found a home. He's raised his kids here. Lived in the same house since he came here with Steve Fisher back in the day. Uh, Has turned down opportunities. Turned down his alma mater, the University of Minnesota, where his dad coached. So at this point, I don't think we have to worry about that. Does he deserve a pay hike, pay bump? If these guys could drag this thing to the the final four, yeah, maybe maybe some big cigar, big booster will take them. Uh, if they get to the final four, I wonder if that impacts the Pac-12 in terms of what the Pac-12 is thinking about who we should offer membership to. Mm. San Diego State basketball replace UCLA basketball. I don't. It, that'll be interesting to see, but I'm not worried about Dutcher leaving because I just don't think he's that kind of guy. When he turned down his alma mater, I said that that's pretty impressive because there's always an emotional lure to go back home. The things that influenced your life and your career. Yeah, it was kind of like the Brady Hoke thing, where I, you know I'm here forever unless it's Michigan calling. For Dutcher, it was Minnesota. But you're right, he stayed. Um, you know, and, you know, he's not a spring chicken either. So will he just, you know, kind of ride out into the sunset here in San Diego? Can't blame him. This is a great place to live. Yeah. So, um, and he's built a great program. We got a couple more comments here. This is a, a good one on about the Cowboys and their trade for Gilmore and Cooks. It's from Paul M. He says, the problem with the Cowboys is the owner can't stay out of the way of the head coach. The other problem is the quarterback. He will never bring Dallas a championship. Well, Dak Prescott is probably in the upper third of really good quarterbacks. Is he a superstar? No, but he manages games, makes plays. I mean, you don't you don't throw for forty five hundred or five thousand yards unless you're good and you got talent around you. You might not like Jira, Jerry Jones, but I'll tell you what, they spend money on players. They've really drafted well over the last group of years. Now that being said, this guy's probably still angry about how Jera treated Jimmy Johnson, who was the architect of Cowboy football. Mm-hmm. I mean, they won two Super Bowls, and then Barry Switzer babysat them, and Switzer won a third one before screwing it all up with Jimmy Johnson's players. So I think I think a chunk of people who don't like the guy that runs the star, owns the star, <laughs> don't like him because of what he did with Jimmy Johnson. But it's a really good team, uh, and I, I give them credit. They pay their guys, and they, they do the – the gymnastics that need to be done with the salary cap, and they really, really do draft pretty well. There's not a lot of bust on that Cowboy roster. Have you seen the rumor that maybe Ezekiel Elliott's going to land with the Chargers? Nah, I think that's far-fetched because, A, he wants money. Mm-hmm. B, he wants to go where they're going to run the ball. Well, Bolts are not running the football. They're giving it to Justin Herbert. Running game would be plan B after plan A. So I don't think that. I keep hearing Tampa. But Tampa's got cap problems, and Tampa looks like it's beginning what would be a major, major rebuild. I still think Zeke's got gas left in the tank, 
but he's got to go to a team that wants to run the bloody football. Can you say Chicago Bears, cold mm-hmm. weather and all that, Rasmides? Maybe a place like that, but uh, I think he'll get signed. I don't think he's done by any stretch. Okay, let's let's move along. we got a couple more comments here. Another NFL one from Podsin69. He says, yeah, Tran- Tranquil is smart. He wants that ring. That's why he left, right? I just don't understand what John Spanos dad gave him his job. President of football ops is doing. You're not you have not dealt with the Austin Eckler thing. And you let this guy go on the market. This guy is young. He's swift, he's fast, he's smart, Notre Dame kid. Why would you let him go? He signed a one year deal worth six million. He's a starting linebacker. If you're asking me, I'd rather have him than Kenneth Murray in the linebackers. So you you let him walk out the door where he's an athlete who can run, who's smart, and you're going to replace him with an older guy, age 31, Eric Kendricks, who came from Minnesota. Really nice career as a tough guy linebacker with the Vikings, but he's 31. Wake up as an old man a couple of years from now. I would have much rather had Tranquil than I would anybody else, but their call. I just don't understand what John Spanos is doing. They better put this Austin Eckler fire out. Yeah, I think they need to sign this guy, bring him in. And, I mean, you don't get rid of your building blocks. I mean, this is a guy to build on. It's a guy to take the Chargers to the next level. I mean, you got to make a move. One final question. One final question. This is a great one here. This is from Paul M. He said, is that a dog barking (laughs) in the background? (laughs) That's our executive producer, Nona, the barking black Labrador retriever. And, by the way, outside our studio here, we have a bulletin board that had all the brackets that everybody had chosen. And I walked in there today, and all the brackets are gone with the exception of one. They're all in the garbage can. The only one that's there is the Barking Black Labrador Retriever, Nona, because (laughs) she picked all the underdogs in the tournament. That's why her brackets are in place and everybody else's brackets are gone. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so like Nona is our dog, and, and she, she's like 14 years old. She's getting a little bit, uh, you know, senile, and so she'll start to randomly bark. It's only started within the last year or so, but it always happens during the podcast. But we love her, and, and sometimes she'll come in here and even visit when we're on the air. In broadcast terms, that's what we call ambiance. Hey, listen, hope you've enjoyed our extended Thursday podcast. We'll be back on Monday with bonus coverage coming out of Sweet 16 and March Madness. Next week, next Thursday, you won't want to miss our Major League Baseball preview package that we're working on putting together. For John Riley, this is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. Please check my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. Think you'll really enjoy it. Subscribe to everything we're doing. Give us a thumbs up along the way. Have yourself a great sports weekend. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. Touchdown, San Diego! For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.